This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. It's Friday, December 16th, 2022 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. We have some German news. News not about the Reichsburger movement. In fact, not burgers at all, but seafood is the issue. Tragically so, it is the Berlin fish apocalypse. We here at Peachfish Productions are especially attuned to acts of international ichthyocide. So our hearts go out to all the families. Gadadai, Tetragodidae. So many Latin names for the fish. Doesn't even take us to any of the family's veals. Channel 6 Philadelphia had these notes of condolence. 1,500 tropical fish. It's so sad to think of that many fish probably dying. Indeed it is, but it's like Stalin said, kill 1,500 fish, it's a statistic. Kill one, it's 4.99 of participating red lobsters. The tank called the Aquadome was 52 feet high and almost 38 feet in diameter, made of acrylic glass. Visitors could ride an elevator through the middle of the aquarium. It was the largest freestanding cylindrical aquarium in the world until it wasn't suddenly and all at once. According to a spokesman, crews were unable to access the ground floor of the building because of the debris. Okay, I know there's millions of gallons of water out there, but a cruise? Too soon before the bodies are even, well, I guess they'd be warm. The AP reported that among the species affected, I'm gonna say killed, were clownfish and the blue tang. The blue tang, a social species which travels in schools or clans, the blue tang clan, well known for its members, ODG, Old Dirty Goldfish, and Piranha, blue tang clan ain't nothing to flood with. WKRN Nashville didn't go with the piscicide angle, Perhaps they thought this was a case more appropriate for the German social services agencies. I understand you don't want to jump to tragic conclusions, especially before notification of the next of Finn, but these fish are probably worse off than merely being unhoused. WKRN also mentioned a couple more animals on the scene of the explosion. Rescue dogs are still looking for anyone who might be trapped inside. A fish tank burst, water spilled, Angelfish fulfilled their destiny. And who is trapped inside? Opie and Andy? Come on. It is a good use of rescue dogs instead of, say, rescue cats. That I will give them. Thankfully, the guests at this hotel were mostly sleeping at 5.50 a.m. when their Piscine hotel mates went to sleep with themselves. And then they awoke, faintly bouncing around the room, the echo of a former shark. Fish fans get that one. After a tragedy like this, it's easy to declare, there is no God. True. But I like to think that all of the souls will ascend to heaven, even all the devil rays. We leave you with these images. Here we go. Let's place them on the screen. Tragically so. That was Cuttlefish, 2020 to 2022. Moray Eel, 2019 to 2022. It's all so sad. They will be missed. Let us go now to break. No, 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 not that commercial. On today of all days, let's remember 
our beguiling, beguiled friends for the lives they led. And we'll be back after this. How many crab legs did I eat? Well, they were so good I lost count. Come on! Can't we play a different commercial? Wow, that's a lot of shrimp. Do we have a crypto ad? A reverse mortgage? Stop the fish sanity? On the show today, sorry, I was just trolling. On the show today, it's a double-barreled sleigh of Christmas fun. Chris Malamphy has been looking at the Christmas charts, the all-time Christmas song charts, a stuffed stocking of Christmas songs from the perspective of a scholar so intense, he worked himself sick to find the exact degrees upon which chestnuts roast on an open fire. Chris Malamphy and Christmas up next. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. All I want for Christmas is you, and by you, I mean Mariah Carey singing the song of that title, and by gum, by gumdrops, by, by the beard of Santa's chin, man, am I getting that. Christmas music is so joyously, or perhaps depending on your predilections, so insidiously all around us, and to some extent, it always has been, but it hasn't always been acknowledged as such by the most important chronicler of what is popular among the organized noise we hear. Billboard has a Holiday 100 chart. and We've long known that people love listening to Christmas music, but we haven't long had the tools to measure which songs and how much. But now we do. Joining me to talk about this phenomenon, this late-breaking innovation in the measurement of Christmas music around this holiday season is Chris Malamphy, whose hit parade podcast is a must-listen, who writes the Why Is This Song number one column for Slate. Hello, Chris. Welcome back. Thanks, Mike. Such flattery. Ho, ho, ho to you. <laughs> I, I mean it. So, you have an excellent article in New York Magazine, Vulture, I guess, that imprint. Yes. And there is also a billboard chart that lists all of the greatest Christmas songs of all time. But by reading the New York Magazine article, I came to question, is this chart officially put out on billboard of the greatest of all time? Do they know these are the best selling or most listened to as they would other billboard charted songs? Do they know that about these Christmas songs? I would say that they know it based on hard data, but only from roughly the last dozen years. Um, because that is really the era where Christmas music was as trackable as it is now. As I have explained a couple of times on Hit Parade, Christmas music has always been a weird fit for the Billboard charts because it is consumed heavily for a four to six week period every year. It comes in like a tsunami in mid to late November. It peaks in mid to late December. And then just a couple days after the holiday, it disappears from our playlist, plummets out of our hit parade, so to speak, and doesn't come back for 11 and a half months. 
In the old era of the charts, what I will call the analog era of the charts, where you were relying on record retailers to tell you what their best sellers were and radio stations to give you playlists of what their most played songs were. That brief window where Christmas music was picking up steam, the old slower charts, the analog charts as I call them, just didn't have the minutely tailored data that we now have. As it turns out, the real difference in the 21st century, and it wasn't just the invention of digital music, the download helped. But what it took was for a wholesale shift in Americans' habits away from downloads and towards streaming for us to fully capture how popular for this tiny little window, this one-month window, roughly, Christmas music is. So Mariah's record, which had never cracked the top 40 prior to 2012, suddenly cracks the top 40 in 2012 once Billboard starts having the streaming data. And then it gets a little bit bigger each year until finally it's cracking the top 20 by around 2017, cracking the top 10 by 2018, going to number three, and then finally to number one starting in 2019. Because it's not so much that, oh, Mariah's record got more popular over the last decade. No, it was always really popular. It's that we now have the data to measure just how much people play the Mariah record every year. That's the difference. So what does Billboard do to go back and construct this chart of the Christmas song and Jingle Bell Rock and Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree? Just to estimate how popular they were at the time of release? I can't be 100% certain, but my educated guess is that they are strictly using the data they've had as long as they've had a Holiday 100 chart, which they only launched in 2011, right at the peak of the download era and right at the start of the moment when streaming really takes off. Streaming predates 2011, but it get, like I said, it gets big after Spotify gets to America. They're probably only using that data because frankly, the data prior to the 2010s is very murky. In the old days of the Billboard charts, Billboard sometimes isolated Christmas records on separate charts. Sometimes they didn't run Christmas records on either the regular charts or the separate charts. For example, a song that I'm sure people have been plagued by this holiday season as they are every year, Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. The mood is right, the spirit's up, we're here tonight, and that's enough. Back in 1979, when it was a new record, did not chart anywhere, didn't appear on the Hot 100. Did that mean that nobody was listening to the Paul McCartney record in 1979? No, it just means that we didn't, we were in the analog era of the charts. Billboard probably wasn't measuring Christmas music on a Christmas chart at the time. And uh. retailers were not incentivized to even report the, that single selling, or radio stations incentivized to report the Paul McCartney record playing if they were playing it. Because in an analog world, even take payola out of it. If you're not incentivized to say, this is one of our biggest records right now, you're not going to bother. Right. So the mood is right. The spirit's up. We're here tonight and that's enough. But it wasn't enough for Paul McCartney to chart when Wonderful Christmas Time came out. That is indeed true. And one more detail, to be fair to Billboard, assuming that they are indeed basing this only on hard data they've had since 2011, the good news is 
what streaming has revealed is how these perennial records, if you think that the the skew toward 2011 is going to skew this chart only toward, you know, Kelly Clarkson and Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber, you're quite wrong. In fact, as you were rattling off those hit records just a few minutes ago, it's really Burl Ives, Andy Williams, Nat King Cole. These are the songs that do well in the digital era, in the streaming era, year after year. So There is some value to this chart because even though it's only about a dozen years worth of data, it is measuring the perennials that keep coming back year after year. Well, you listed those names. Do you know the name of the very uh, basso profundo uh, singing voice behind your mean one, Mr. Grinch? You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a he. I believe that's Thurl Ravenscroft. Thurl Ravenscroft, correct. (laughs) You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. Sang it in the original, uh, I guess it was a Hanna-Barbera TV special version of the Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch (laughs) Stole Christmas Story. Yeah, and he also played Tony the Tiger in some Frosted Flakes commercials. They're good. Good. They're great. There you go. And was the uh, was in the Country Bear Jamboree, and of course played the played a part in the Haunted Mansion, a singing bust in the Haunted Mansion. What a what a niche for Mister Thurl Ar- Arthur Ravenscroft of Norfolk, Nebraska. Oh my God. Well, and if you're running the Tony the Tiger voice through your head, they're great. You can actually hear how it has a similar tone to, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. It's the same voice. (laughs) It's amazing. So I would guess, but we have no way of knowing based on everything you said. I remember, I don't remember Wonderful Christmas Time, but I do remember a couple of these other pop hits the year they came out. And they were ubiquitous. You know, Do They Know It's Christmas by Mm Band-Aid. I'm surprised it didn't chart. Band-Aid's Do They Know It's Christmas did chart in 1984, but in yeah. early 85, it only got as high as number 13, which, again, is a sign not that the Band-Aid record wasn't popular. Reportedly, it sold about 2 million copies in America alone, let alone how massive it was in the UK. Right. But how, in a system that relied on analog reporting of radio station reports and retailer sales reports, there just wasn't enough data to get that song up the charts in time by the time the holiday season was over. By the time it got to number 13, people were done with that record. But if you could compare the fact, the confirmed fact that there were 2 million in sales of that a single at the time in America, compare it to other songs that certainly were in the top 10 like it wasn't, those, those wouldn't have even sold a million units. That's right. Um, 
part of the issue, and you and I have talked about this in previous installments of our Hits of the Year series on The Gist, is that prior to the 90s, Billboard didn't even have piece count data for how much something was selling. All they relied on were ranked sales reports. So if a retailer was telling you, this is my eighth biggest selling record this week, okay, is it two times as big as the record at number nine? Is it half as big as the record at number four? Billboard had no idea of the magnitude of how much something was selling. So if Band-Aids Do They Know It's Christmas was selling two million records in a condensed space, we really had no idea of the magnitude of that, at least until the 1990s. Yeah. And so I would say, do they know it's Christmas, which is 32 on this all-time billboard chart, if there could have been contemporary counting, and this is just me being biased for what played during my lifetime, might have been, in fact, much higher, much higher than even like Hallelujah by Pentatonix, which is number 26. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Right, and so there you do see a little bit of the recency bias of this chart. Band-Aids Do They Know It's Christmas, let's give it its props, has done well as an annual Christmas perennial. It does come back, you know. You would think that that would be a very dated record you know, you and I are the same age, Mike. We're Gen Xers. We were teenagers when that record came out. It captured the cutting edge of the cutting edge of British pop at the time. Duran Duran, Wham, Culture Club, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Young, uh, you know, drums by Phil Collins. It was, it, that might make that record extremely dated. And yet it's kind of become its own little Christmas carol that comes back on the airwaves every year. So I'd say, a, a birth on this chart in the 30s is really not bad. So Chris Malamphy knows if you've been bad or good, so you better be good for goodness sake, and you'll be rewarded as we deck more halls with Carol Talk. We'll talk how Phil Spector changed how we hear Christmas. We'll discover the best-selling song of all time. All right, guess what that is? Our bells don't jingle, they fold into part two of this Chris Kringle Malamphy Christmas Spectacular. Up next. Merry Christmas, I don't want to fight tonight with We're back with Chris Malamphy talking about Billboard's greatest Christmas songs of all time, which brings us to, let's I'll pluck one out, number 60. During this conversation, I'm sure more than a few listeners were dreading hearing the pa-rum-pa-bum-bum of the little drummer boy. There is a challenge to see how long you could go without getting parumpad. Have we destroyed it by even saying pa-rum-pa-pum-pum? I guess we haven't I wonder if it. just saying pa let's play some of it now to destroy that. the little drummer boy challenge hurts the little drummer boys <laughs> positioning on the charts or how often people play it well first of all there are two versions of the little drummer boy on this chart the one you point to at number 60 is the more orchestral version by the harry simeon carol I'm, i hope i'm pronouncing that right and you may not be familiar with the artist but if you've heard that version 
It's very traditional. It gets rotated every year. I remember it from my childhood. But then at number 43 on the all-time list is Pentatonix, Little Drummer Boy. Which is the acapella group made famous from the sing-off on NBC, who have gone on to sell truckloads of records doing covers of all manner of both seasonal and non-seasonal songs. So, as annoying as The Little Drummer Boy is, people still seem to want to cover that record year in and year out. Yeah. Vince Guaraldi, known for scoring, a, gr- a great jazz musician, in fact, but known for scoring the Peanuts uh, specials, is on this chart a lot. And I, is it true that all the songs on this chart, like O oh, Tannenbaum and certainly uh, Christmas Time is Here, are, did they all originate in a Charles Schultz Peanuts special? The ones by Vince Guaraldi did, they all originated in A Charlie Brown Christmas, which appeared on television in 1965, is widely considered the first children's primetime animated special, kind of created the form, and is itself a perennial, appearing on television every year. Such that even songs that are not overtly holiday-centric, like Linus and Lucy, better known as the Peanuts theme, that jaunty piano ditty, people will play that more in November and December than they do the rest of the year, even though Linus and Lucy has appeared in other Charlie Brown specials that have nothing to do with Christmas. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Is number six on the chart still? I mean, I don't know what to be surprised by or whatnot. I would put this in the category of it seemed to be a ubiquitous song in the 70s when Jose Feliciano played it. I still hear it. I was at the barbershop and I heard it uh, recently. I'm a little surprised it's that high, but maybe I shouldn't be. I mean, for one thing, Jose Feliciano is holding it down for Latin Christmas music with that song. That is true. It has long been the Latin Christmas anthem. I also did a little digging into Jose Feliciano's background. You know, I knew a thing or two about him as a kid because he would appear on kids' television from time to time. Yes. Um, but yes, Sesame Street regular, yes. Here's the thing. This predates both you and me, Mike. In the 60s, Jose Feliciano was a seriously hot pop star. Like, he was scoring regular hits and gold albums. Uh, one of his albums rode the Billboard album chart for something like a year in 1968. Um, he was a real hit maker. And then what's funny about Feliz Navidad is that he records it in 1970. And because, again, the chart metrics don't really capture just how popular it is, it really grew in popularity over the years. The first time I ever encountered Feliz Navidad, I don't know if you have this same nostalgia, Mike, there was a late 70s Christmas special on Sesame Street called Christmas Eve on Sesame Street that featured an ice skating scene of Big Bird with a little kid set to Feliz Navidad. And I remember thinking at age eight or whatever I was at the time, wow, this song's really catchy. And uh, I never forgot Feliz Navidad after that. 
Also, it probably is the song on this list with the fewest lyrics. Just repeats the title in English and in Spanish, and then in English and Spanish says that he wants to wish you a Merry Christmas from the bottom of his heart. It's bilingual, so that's helpful. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, what's your favorite Christmas song? I know mine. Oh, gosh. I haven't given that much thought lately. Um, I have so many favorites. I mean, I love Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee. Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree at the Christmas Party Hop. Um, you know, there's a little drama in Chartland. Uh, every year for the last few years, as Mariah keeps going back to number one with All I Want for Christmas is You, Brenda keeps going back to number two. And by the way, that's number two not only on the Holiday 100, but on the regular Hot 100, the chart that charts all kinds of records. Brenda keeps going back to number two, and it would be amazing if Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, a ridiculously catchy record written by legendary Christmas songwriter Johnny Marks, if that record finally went all the way just for a single week and topped Mariah Carey. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen, but that one's a favorite of mine. I have a soft spot for Last Christmas by Wham. Oh. In America, it was a B-side in 1984, so it didn't even chart. And now it's become not only a perennial in its original recording sung by George Michael, it's become a standard. It's been covered by numerous artists. Um, everyone from Taylor Swift to Ariana Grande to I think Michael Buble has, has covered Last Christmas. Um, it's a very sturdy melody and not necessarily a record that sounded all that Christmassy the first time you heard it. It opens with a Hawaiian guitar and yet it's remarkably sturdy. Uh, 41 and 42, back to back, two different versions of Santa Claus is coming to town. 41 is by Bruce Springsteen. 42 is by the Jackson 5. The classic, the iconic Bruce Springsteen recording was taped at CW Post College near where I grew up in uh, 1975. And I got to say, as a uh, Springsteen file, it does my heart well to know that he crosses over and touches the hearts of all the little boys and girls around Christmas time. Here's my favorite tidbit about Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which by the way is on this holiday all-time chart three times. The Bruce Springsteen version at number 41, the Jackson 5 version right next to it at number 42, and way down at uh, number 78 is a version by Michael Buble. Okay, of course you gotta have Buble. That's, that's the law. B the Buble version of all these songs has to chart. Right. Arguably, the most important version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town is not on this chart, but if it were, this would be the most legendary, which is the Crystals version. And why? Because that's on A Christmas Gift for You by Phil Spector that came out in 1963. And why is that important? Because Phil Spector literally changed the cadence of a song that we sing every Christmas. Think about Santa Claus is Coming to Town. If you sang it as a kid in grade school, you probably sang Santa Claus is Coming mm -hmm. to Town. Mm -hmm. However, Phil Spector turned it into an R&B record in 1963 and came up with the syncopated version that goes, Santa Claus is coming to town. That has turned out to be the standard way that virtually everybody sings Santa Claus is coming to town in all the decades since, the Springsteen version. Santa Claus is coming to town. The Jackson 5 version. Santa 
Everybody sings it the way the Crystals sing it on a Christmas gift for you. And I think that's remarkable because Phil Spector's A Christmas Gift for You, whether it's Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You or Kelly Clarkson's Underneath the Tree, a lot of modern or more modern Christmas records are trying to throw back to that Phil Spector sound of the early 60s. It's kind of like a guaranteed... Uh, instigator of nostalgia if you can replicate the sound of A Christmas Gift for You by Phil Spector. And also on that album was one of my other favorite songs by the great Darlene Love, Christmas Baby Please Come Home. So yeah, Christmas Baby Please Come Home at number 31 on this chart is, you know, in its original form by Darlene Love. It's been covered by others, but the Darlene Love version is the standard. It's the one everybody goes to because she sings the hell out of it. It's one of the few originals on A Christmas Gift for You by Phil Spector, Uh, so not a cover of you know, a standard like Sleigh Ride or Jingle Bells or Frosty the Snowman. And it's just a legendary vocal performance. It's it's certainly one of my favorite Christmas perennials and probably yours as well. It, it says the season more than most of the records on this list. Is it true that I see Bing Crosby's White Christmas is number 10 on the list, but is there some some statistic that I read that this is among the most listened to songs of any kind, even though it's only number 10 on this list? Again, because uh, metrics are murky prior to, say, the 1990s, nobody is 100% certain about this, but it has been claimed by the Guinness Book of World Records and other authorities that White Christmas by Bing Crosby is the best-selling single of all time, of any kind. The only record that rivals it is one that we talked about when we did the number one hits of 1997, Elton John's Princess Diana tribute, Candle in the Wind, 1997. Otherwise, there is no record that comes close to White Christmas, which is estimated to have sold at least 50 million copies, which is a staggering number. Well, Chris, I want to thank you. You've given us your intellect. You've given us your uh, opinion, your soul. You've given us your voice. You're on the nice list, not the naughty list. I want to take the coal from your stocking and especially your esophagus for this one, our Christmas edition. Chris Malamphy is the host of the Hit Parade podcast. He wrote about the Christmas charts for Vulture. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you, Mike, and Merry Christmas to you and yours. And that's it for today's show. Corey War is the assistant producer of The Gist, and Joel Patterson is the senior producer. Michelle Pesca is the COO of Peachfish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Oomperoo, gperoo, dooperoo, and thanks for listening. 
Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hypengeophobia. I don't think that's quite it. How about cats? If you're afraid of cats, you have aneurophasia. Well, sort of, but I'm not sure. Are you afraid of staircases? If you are, then you have climacophobia. Maybe you have thalassophobia. This is fear of the ocean. Or jephorobia, which is the fear of crossing bridges. Or maybe you have pantophobia. Do you think you have pantophobia? What's pantophobia? The fear of everything. That's it! This is... Be... <laughs>